0: I think if you can show examples of younger women who are still trying to figure it out, it uh, gives them a much more tangible example.
1: Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentors. Today we have on Caroline Pugh. Caroline is an entrepreneur at heart and a huge advocate of women in STEM and leadership positions. We also discuss things like networking and finding amazing mentors. This podcast is also one of celebration. We just got off of school. It's summer. So if you're a kid and listening to this, you're either having a great time or you're, or you're kicking back and you're relaxing. Either way, I really hope you enjoy every negative wisdom you're going to get from her. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. Today we have on Caroline Pugh. Caroline, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so the first place I really wanted to start out was with your story, um, where you started to where you are now. Because I know that you've got a really different story compared to most um, to most kids, even.
0: <laughs> I certainly don't feel like a kid anymore. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I guess everything did start when I was a kid. Uh, I first became interested in technology. Uh, I think with seeing how my dad kind of shaped his career. Uh, He was an engineer his whole career at GE. And uh, specifically, he was a uh, steel manufacturing engineer. And so he was working in these large steel mills all over the world. And we lived in five different countries where I got to be exposed to a lot of different ways that people interact with technology, which was also really interesting. uh, And I think really shaped the way that I currently think about technology. Um, and so when I went to college, which was Virginia Tech uh, about six years ago, I immediately joined uh, this organization called the Entrepreneur Club. And uh, in high school, I was involved with a lot of different organizations, but always kind of steered more heavily towards the business and technology types of organizations. Um, and when I first joined the Entrepreneur Club, I just immediately fell in love with the people in the room. Everybody had an idea that they were working on. And these are all people who are 18, 19, 20 years old. No one was telling them to be there. No one was telling them to work on any other side projects besides school. And they were so passionate about solving a real issue and not just making another social media app or messaging app, but really tackling some of the world's biggest problems, whether it you know, global warming or healthcare or uh, energy. Um, and so it's really fascinating to see. And that that was really kind of my foreway into getting into the world of entrepreneurship and startups. Um, and then my sophomore year, I ended up starting a company of my own uh, in the healthcare tech space where we were actually developing uh, 3D human scanning technology. And we were applying that into uh, e-commerce and then also healthcare where, People could essentially get scanned uh, using our 3D body scanner, uh, which was installed into gyms and hospitals. Uh, And the people would be able to have access to their accurate body uh, metrics, so like their uh, BMI, their height, weight, body fat percentage, uh, and then it would be downloaded straight to their phone via our app. And uh, I ended up running that company for about three and a half years. We had a team of uh, 14 engineers and we raised about two million dollars in capital and uh, it was it was a crazy ride that's for sure and I I think because of that experience it was kind of spun into the world of adulthood very early on because a lot of the time I was spending uh you know was with, with investors and other business people and a lot of men <laughs> in technology <laughs> and so I learned so much during that time and i I don't uh, I wish I could almost relive it again because I just learned so much um, and experienced a lot of, a lot of things. So uh, now I am currently in Washington, D.C., and I work uh, with a man named Anish Chopra, who was the first uh, chief technology officer of the United States under President Obama. And uh, he and I had met when I was actually doing my startup, and he was running for lieutenant governor at the time. And uh, we were working on a couple entrepreneurship initiatives together. And uh, when I moved to DC, we caught up, and he was telling me a little bit about his healthcare data analytics startup that he had just uh, started with another businessman in DC. Thought it was super interesting and super fascinating. And I ended up joining his team, and he asked me to be his chief of staff. Uh, and uh, I have been working with him ever since, and it's been it's been a lot of fun.
1: That's oh, I love that story. Sorry, Dad popped in really fast. <laughs> he wanted to say hi, but he can't see. Um, but no, I absolutely love that story. And you know what really fascinated me was I read an, mm-hmm. an article about you, and he, at first you said with um, Virtual mm-hmm. You, your first company, you're like you're like I didn't know. You know, you didn't really know the realm very well, but then you learned. So like, how did you learn that fast? And then also I was really curious about like, how did you build that team? Mm -hmm. Like what is the, what are some like major team building aspects?
0: Right. Well, both are both, uh, both are great questions. And I think probably the hardest things about entrepreneurship and building a company is learning really quickly and building a team and then sustaining that knowledge in the team. (laughs) And so, uh, for me, I I think, Uh, being so young and having no experience whatsoever in business or technology or building a company, I really relied heavily on the set of mentors and advisors that I had. Uh, And from a very early age, I always really loved connecting with people. And I realized that I learned the most just from talking to people about their own experiences. And I was never one to really read a textbook about how people did that. It was always through Having one-on-one conversations, or watching videos, or listening to podcasts, just like this one, uh, (laughs) of people building their companies and empires, and um, yeah, we had a great advisory team and a great set of investors very early on, which I feel very lucky for. And um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where entrepreneurs oftentimes get sucked into building their own product or building their own passions and. Uh, you oftentimes believe that just because you are so passionate about it, or because you love your idea so much, that everybody else is going to love it because it's such a no-brainer to you. <laughs> but you really have to take yourself out of that bubble to understand um, if the rest of the market actually feels the same way. Because oftentimes, in the very beginning, they're not, and it's a huge and it's one of the biggest reasons why. Uh, entrepreneurs sometimes end up not being successful because you just have all these assumptions that people will understand the way to use your product just the way that you do, uh, when in fact there's going to be a lot of coaching and a lot of iterations and a lot of beta tests that need to happen uh, in the first you know, year or so before you can really get it right. Um, so for me, that process really talking to both mentors, advisors, and investors who have done it before, as well as um, just getting feedback from the market and and getting feedback from people who have been in the industry for a long time. Uh, On the team question, I I think because I was exposed to this entrepreneurship club network uh, early on as well, that was an initial set of people that we could really grow and develop from. So a lot of the people that I was involved with in the entrepreneur club were either our initial set of employees or uh, at least people who helped us along the way. And I think um, because we were one of the first and few entrepreneurs working on a really interesting uh, issue, uh, and we were also a hardware startup, we were the only hardware startup in the area at the time, people naturally gravitated towards us because we were just kind of like the weird kids doing this (laughs) crazy thing. (laughs) And uh, people wanted to help and people just wanted to be a part of the movement and um, which was fascinating to see. And I think as a student, you want to get involved with other uh, you know, organizations or projects or activities. And I think working with us for free and, and we were basically just paying our early set of employees with pizza and beer. Uh, to others, it was a really rewarding experience because we were building this real thing that you could see and touch and a piece of technology that, you know, hopefully a lot of people uh, could use one day. And I think that offered a very unique learning experience to other people and other engineers. And so that's how we were able to build out that initial team. And uh, I think everybody on that team really gravitated naturally towards technology. And we're also, you know, entrepreneurs themselves. They're all very entrepreneurial and very, very hardworking uh, individuals. So um, I feel very lucky to have worked with them. And I think building a team is probably one of the most rewarding things that you could ever do.
1: Definitely. And you know, that's honestly kind of what I'm going to try to do next year is build a team. So I was like, you know, might as well get some advice from, from someone who, you know, built an amazing yeah. team. Because what I noticed, what you were yeah. talking about is people gravitated towards it. And I think that's one of the smartest ways you can go about it. Because when mm-hmm. you start an amazing project, people that you want mm-hmm. are going to start gravitating. Towards me, like gravitating. People that aren't yeah. interested in you like, oh, I'll kind yeah. of do this. Like I'll maybe right. help. I mean, they don't go. So- Sign,
0: yeah, it's a, it's a sure sign to know if you're, what you're working on is actually interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because if definitely. people don't want to
0: work for you or be associated with it, or if people don't want to invest, or if people don't want to be a part of it or have some sort of association with it, then that probably means what you're working on. It may not be, you know, the product, but that's why you keep <laughs> iterating and that's why you keep gathering feedback. And I think the minute that you really understand that, um, you know, there's value uh, both from the user side as well as the market side, it, it changes everything. And it becomes very clear. I think there's a moment in every entrepreneur's like early um, phase where if they've started a company or at least are working on an idea, within the first three to eight months, there'll probably be a moment where you start realizing, like, okay, now I think I've refined this to a point where people clearly understand what I'm doing and I can start getting real feedback on how I can make this better and once you reach that moment you really breathe a sigh of relief because you know you want to do something and you know you want to do something that's going to be meaningful to people but you have no idea until that moment hits and um, yeah it's a very liberating moment that's for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask you like you know what did that moment feel like for you but I feel like that was your moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there are several moments like that because, I mean, there's so many companies out there that, I mean, if you think about Amazon, like Jeff Bezos, I don't think ever would have imagined, and he said this publicly too, that, you know, Amazon would be what it is today. And all he wanted to do was sell books online and do it in a savvy way and do it in a smart way that, you know, compared to everybody else, uh, was a lot better in the experience and the customer service and the speed at which people could shop for books was a lot better. And that's what he accomplished. And, you know, he really thought that he wasn't going to have a bigger business than, you know, a $10 million business or maybe even a $50 million business. And you start incrementally working towards this, um, you know, critical mass of people. And then you start going to the next thing. And then you start going to the next thing. And you start building out these divisions. And so I think within the lifespan of a company, you couldn't have many of those Uh, moments where you start realizing like, wow, I'm providing value on so many different angles from the core platform vision and belief that I started this company from. And I think that's probably the most important thing is really establishing like, why are are you doing this in the first place? What what was the thing that you really saw was an issue or problem in the market that either didn't exist, or that you could do much better, faster, uh, and maybe with a higher quality. And if you have that core belief, and you can sustain that through the length of your entire uh, company's uh, life, then that's when you have built something, I-, I think.
1: Well, of course, because you're at a point where, like you said, you're creating value on both sides. And then you're Mm -hmm. you're expanding. I mean, I was talking to someone today about like, they had this business idea and they're like, Ava, we're going to do this and that and this and that. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Wait. do one thing. Start with one thing and then see how it works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, the good and bad thing about entrepreneurs is like, we want to do so much, right? Like, I think we're just like predisposed to being these people who just want to try everything and do everything, which is great. Mm-hmm. And it's a great motivator, <laughs> but like you said, you have to start with one thing, get that right, and then move on to the next thing, or really build upon that original thing, uh, and have add-ons along the way. But I think, yeah, focus initially is probably is you know one of the most important things.
1: Yes. And okay, so I really wanted to take a pivot because I know that you're really passionate about women in entrepreneurship and women in in places of tech. And so, you know, we do see that kind of gap right now of like, you know, there are a lot of women in tech and in the STEM fields. And then how are we going to do that? Uh, How are we going to make them Mm -hmm. um, passionate about Mm -hmm. this? How can we bring a different demographic into the world? So what do you see as like the biggest um, divide or barrier? And how do you think we can change Mm -hmm. that?
0: Yeah, well, I think it has to change with showing more examples of women who are doing the exact things that maybe uh, aren't really typically shown today. I mean, there's more and more, obviously, women getting into technology in leadership positions at major Fortune 500 companies at a lot of great startups all over the world. But uh, I think we also need to show more examples of women, younger women who are still very much so developing in their careers, anywhere from 25 to 35 years old, where they are clearly starting to pave the way of, uh, you know, showing their leadership within technology, uh, but are clear examples for younger women who are 15 to maybe 22 years old, who are in school trying to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And I think if you can show examples of younger women who are still trying to figure it out, It uh, gives them a much more tangible example where, you know, I'm not too sure when I was 15 or 16 years old, I was looking at women in their 60s who are very, very accomplished saying, I want to do the exact same thing that they did, because it's just a very different time. Uh, You know, people are interacting with technology very differently. And people are just accomplishing things in a very different way where, you know, maybe People in their fifties and sixties, at that point in time, they were at the same company for the last thirty years, and that does, you know, that doesn't happen as much anymore. So, I think providing examples of female entrepreneurs or female engineers um, who are in their thirties or maybe even younger, but have uh, incrementally built their businesses or their careers in a, a very clear way. Um, you know, are are great examples to younger women of how they might be able to do it because it doesn't seem like such a faraway thing anymore because they're just five, 10 years older than they are. So I think as as long as we can start providing more tangible examples, that's, uh, I think, a big stepping stone as well as, uh, you know, even just within schools, um, a, a lot of organizations around engineering and business are very skewed towards men uh, and oftentimes are led by uh, male professors. And I think, uh, you know, schools need to have a more intentional uh, way of looking at, you know, organizing those types of groups, whether they get more female uh, professors involved or, uh, you know, leadership from the school involved uh, to really be able to feel like uh, for the female uh, students to feel like they can be a part of the conversation because you really need that uh, advocate, I think at the end of the day. And I, I think for you and I know for myself, when I first joined the Entrepreneur Club, I was one of like five women in, in the entire organization and at first, it was very intimidating, but we had more and more women join because there was a female faculty member that ended up getting involved. And I think once that happened that really set the precedent of like, okay, now there's a female, leader who's here who can really kind of lift us up uh and get us involved in a more proactive way where we don't feel like we're just you know one of the five women that are trying to fit in but maybe we're not (laughs) oh definitely uh, i think it's a combination of a lot of things and i think we're moving in the right direction and you know it's not going to happen overnight but it is um it's moving in in the right direction
1: yeah. Well, especially because like I've seen it in the innovation class, you know, my dad's kind of, my dad this entire year has been like poking me, like recruiting, me, like, like get more girls to sign up, get more girls to join because a lot of them, you know, view entrepreneurship or, you know, finding your passion. Like, they all view it as like a tech thing. They go, well, I can't code an yeah. app or, well, I don't understand how to do this and this with yeah. you know, a computer or a laptop, but it's not yeah. about that it doesn't have to be like that and then what you were saying like two really valuable points i kind of heard were because when you introduce women in in positions like that you show two things like one i can do it too and mm-hmm. two oh wait yeah. i can do like this is an avenue i can take cuz not a lot of women not yeah. a lot of, like not a lot of girls in my school think that like i actually oh i was at the gym today talking to a girl and she's like she's like yeah i was at first in art I got a, like a major in art. She was, but then I realized that I can do something with that. So I got into game design. And she was, yeah. and now I'm yeah. building yeah. prosthetics.
0: I, I, completely your I completely agree with your point. I think what you're saying is showing that it's possible and that it's encouraged and allowed. <laughs> I, I think, you know, oftentimes women don't think, oh, well, I, I, I shouldn't be an engineer or I shouldn't be in technology because I'm not supposed to do that. And I'm not supposed to understand these tech things, but when in fact, you know, women make up 60% of the buying power in, in entire e-commerce world. We are driving the decisions off of men who are <laughs> developing the technologies, of the products that we're actually purchasing. And so, if women aren't being a part of that process of actually making these things, then you know, how how does the um, you know e-commerce world actually suit and uh, serve the needs of everybody when it's so skewed because it's being everything is being developed by men (laughs) and so I, I think a lot of people don't really realize the the power that women hold on making certain decisions and we should very much so be a part of the conversation and not just be the observers
1: do you think women see things with a different eye so like that's like bringing a whole different perspective to the table Of course. I mean,
0: I think it it depends on what you're talking about. I think the field, but uh, you know, not to say, not to speak badly about men, but I think, (laughs) you know, women tend to have a higher emotional intelligence. I think about certain things where we can really read deeply into situations and think about how it's affecting people and how it's affecting, you know, the needs and the wants of consumers. So I think when you're talking about product ideation and the uh, emotional side of things, it really matters a lot and i'll just give one uh quick example where i was talking to uh, a woman who used to be the cmo of neutrogena and she basically uh, was there from the very start and built the initial brand of uh, the trusted neutrogena name and uh she you know she did she was at neutrogena for over 20 years and she ended up retiring and became an angel investor and uh the founders of Green Dot came up to her as one of her first investments and told her about this idea that they were working on, which was to create a uh, credit card that you could essentially buy at a CVS or any, any type of convenience store. And the reason why they created this credit card was because they wanted to empower young men and women who would not naturally be able to get access or apply for a credit card because of their financial Situation, and they did this out of experience where they felt personally uh, embarrassed if they were taking a girl, off, for instance, and they were paying in cash, and they wanted to physically put down a credit card that was in their name, not uh, I- instead of cash. And I think that made a huge emotional difference for them. And they pitched all these male investors and every single one of them said no. They didn't (laughs) get it. They didn't understand why people would want something like that. And they came up to her and she got it immediately. And she was like, you know, you are really empowering a whole base of people who want this exact thing that will essentially boost their self-confidence. And so she was one of the first investors and she got all of her friends and all of her uh, business contacts also invest. And she, you know, did a lot of convincing. Most of them didn't also understand. And a lot of them were men. (laughs) And what ended up happening was uh, within the next 10 years, Green Dot uh, was acquired for $3 billion. And all those initial set of investors and, and people, you know, ended up investing because, you know, she, Really recommended it and they trusted her opinion. But for a lot of those folks, even putting down $25,000 meant a lot. And they're like, this could go to my child's education. And that $25,000 turned into, you know, a thousand X return. And it changed all of those people's lives. And so, one investment and one woman who understood what uh, a product could do for people in terms of empowering them not only changed the way uh that company could succeed because they were she basically provided the whole initial set of investors off of which green dot could actually become a thing but then it changed all these people's lives and so i think that when she told me that story i was like wow you know that is the difference between you know men and females in in some instances and and that's why it can be such a powerful thing
1: i have never thought about it from that perspective like i because I'm always really big on seeing the beautiful differences between people, right? And so cause, mm-hmm. because because I'm, I'm never gonna deny like men and women are completely equal. Like you just said like we have such a higher emotional intelligence than most of other guys. not to say that they can't, but majority girls do. <laughs> and then when someone gets it, that's so because yeah. my, my mom did a similar thing. My mom, she's a nurse practitioner an OBGYN specifically, and she saw mm-hmm. when she like when a lot of younger girls came in, they didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't for things like I'm pregnant. It's like, I need birth control. I like, I need, I need to have a talk with a doctor about things. I need to, I need a lighter period. So I just need to get a prescription filled. Um, yeah. And so after she saw that issue and like, Oh, these young girls don't want to be sitting next to pregnant women. Let's set up a clinic Mm -hmm. for them. And it took so mm-hmm. long cause yeah. I don't think, a, and again, I can't speak for my mom, but it might have been because a lot of the hospital, the hospital didn't get it at first, but you know, when they did, she opened up the clinic and immediately she had this huge amount of girls rolling in being like, we needed this. We needed this, yeah. um, because it's yeah. a welcoming environment, but like how, yeah. I think the root of it comes down to, um the education of getting some of these girls in these positions, because now you've honestly, you've shown me the importance of having, you know, different, the different varieties of people in different positions Mm -hmm. of power. So how do you Mm -hmm. inspire, you know, younger girls Mm -hmm. to get excited about tech? Because I'm not going to lie. Most of them, most little girls I know, they kind of shy away. They're like, no, like that's a robot. And I don't really know how to do that. So how do you, how do you get them really hyped up about these things? Yeah. I mean,
0: I think a lot of conversations are centered around how do we get a person to be passionate about something? (laughs) And it doesn't necessarily have to be about technology, but I think it's very hard to inflict passion. Like passion has to come from inside. Oh yeah, Passion has to come from seeing something or experiencing something that fundamentally changed the way that you think about your life or the world. And so, you know, to me, it kind of bothers me when people say like, how do you get people to be passionate about this thing? And it's like, you really can't. But what you can do, and I think the way that we can encourage women and females to think about their lives and their maybe their career paths differently, is to show now the diversity of which you can accomplish. And uh, what I mean by that is now women are excelling in the arts, in music, in being successful chefs, and in, in being successful businesswomen in various different types of fields. And I think just as long as you can show really diverse examples to women. I think going back to the point earlier of uh, making it not only accepted, but also encouraged that uh, not just the traditional roles of maybe being a nurse or a teacher or even a stay-at-home mom, uh, that that should maybe even be discouraged at this point because it's such a limiting factor to just think about a a list of 10 uh, professions that a female should take when in fact, You know, there might even be more professions that a female can take now at this point than a male can, (laughs) uh, which is really exciting. I have a whole bunch of amazing uh, female entrepreneur friends where they first started off with these very unique career paths. And now they're all really amazing entrepreneurs because they first started off with something that was so different anything that everybody else in the network was doing so for example one of my friends she was very very passionate about music from a very early age and she ended up becoming a uh, international dj and she was going to all these music venues all over the world playing her music and through that process she realized that the booking of musicians and the way in which people could do that or venues could do that was very flawed and uh, not very efficient as well as uh, the experience wasn't great for the music- the musicians themselves and so she ended up creating a uh, tech platform that allows musicians to essentially connect with venues or people who are looking to book them in a safe and efficient way and so um, you know, you don't necessarily need to be starting off with, uh, you know, something involved with technology or business. But if you can start understanding what drives you and what really makes you excited at the end of the day of uh, whether it's solving a problem or or something that you just think about in the morning or think about at night, uh, I think if you can start there and make that something into, uh, you know, something that's a career or something that you can really make a a job out of. And then that becomes the platform and the springboard off of which, you know, many other things can happen. But I think the people that I've met who are both the happiest people as well as the most successful people really first start identifying what they're truly passionate about. Um, and then, and then you know, going from there in terms of, uh, you know, excelling in that passion and then building, you know, potential businesses or other things off of that
1: i can't agree with you more especially on those type of things i mean because i was um i mean i was talking to again that same woman that same woman who was at first at art then the game development i was like Mm -hmm. honestly if you make connections like that with like you know i Mm -hmm. can start here but end up here i was like honestly i love telling stories i love listening to stories if you could add, Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you like think of puzzle pieces, if you add that with technology, you can get like, well, one, you can get a podcast, but also you can get like game development. (laughs) And I was like, do you know anything about game development? And she's like, oh my gosh, yes, definitely. And you know, she was so passionate, excited about those things because there's so many of these, um, I don't want to say like of like female aspects because I know a lot of girls love to tell stories and they love to entertain too they're like like oh my gosh I want to you know I want to be up on stage and talk to people and they you there's a platform for that but I don't think it's well known that you can do those things
0: you know and that's a great point women are amazing storytellers because we can really draw into the human emotion and human nature in a way that a lot of people can't and Uh, That's why you see now kind of this rise of female filmmakers and artists. I mean, women make, I I believe, over 60% of the art in the world, yet uh, only 5% of it is displayed in major museums and art forums, which is crazy. And, um, you know, I I think that's changing. And uh, actually in Washington, D.C., here where I am, there is the first uh, female dedicated Uh, museum uh, for women in the arts here and uh, I I think what it's done is is inspired a lot of other cities and organizations to also make their own uh, women uh, in the arts dedicated forum or place uh, because it's so important to show how women can really portray certain emotions or interactions between people and and people and things uh, in a much deeper way than uh, a lot of people realize so um yeah i mean i I feel like this could be something we could talk about all night, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> because there's so many different aspects of how female uh way of thinking impacts our you know humanity's day to day life that most people don't even really think about or understand or appreciate uh but it's there, and mm-hmm. um it's it's so powerful
1: and then I guess you know, having the art forums and having, like, the women, like, hey, you know, we're, we're doing these things, too, is a great way of, you know, showing that, and another thing mm-hmm. I was wanted to talk to you about is, you know, you wanted to, you are such a great networker, like, you've talked to amazing people, how, like, how are you able to, um, mm-hmm. you know, build yourself up like that, get that reputation, and then meet people from all around the globe? You
0: know, I think it starts from just making the ask, and I I think that's where a lot of things begin. I, you know, going back to assumptions, a lot of people just assume, well, oh, that person's so busy and they're never going to answer my calls or my emails, so why would I even bother? And I think if you start off with that mindset, then you're never even really going to be successful, or you're never really going to get to where you want to go because you're already shutting yourself off and you're already limiting yourself. So. Uh, For me, it's always been about put yourself out there. What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, if the person doesn't respond, then that's fine. But you really have to be, I, I think when it comes to networking and connecting with other people, you have to have this level of vulnerability and being okay with being vulnerable because you're going to get rejected and not everybody's going to be nice to you and not everybody's going to be your cheerleader. And, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, too, when you start building out your mentor network, which I highly advise any uh, young female or young entrepreneur to do, uh, you'll often find that mentors will want to be your cheerleader. But, you know, it's it's great if someone's supportive of you and it's great if someone tells you how amazing you are. But those aren't, that's not really going to be the feedback, the constructive feedback that you need to kind of take yourself or your business to the next level. You really need someone who is going to poke and prod at things that you're doing wrong and challenge the way that you're doing things. Um, so I really encourage uh, people, even though it might be a little bit painful, to find people who are going to challenge you and, and push you to the next level or at least set the example for where you need to go or where you want to go. Uh, Because those will essentially be your role models in um, your business and career. So I I think being really open-minded to the way that you're connecting with people and being okay with rejection and being just completely uh, out there (laughs) and and making those asks and being persistent, uh, as well as building a mentorship network that will be both supportive as well as constructive towards your growth is really important um but then also being really mindful of what you're actually asking for uh you know at the end of the day i, I think everybody is very willing to help and especially if you're a young entrepreneur you know people really respect and admire your drive and i think everybody will give you five minutes of their time but if you want to continuously have five minutes of their time you have to make sure that the first five minutes that you spend with them is actually meaningful and that you've come prepared and you know exactly what you want to get out of the conversation, you know, why you're even talking to the person in the first place, you've done your research and people, you know, really realize that and they take that into consideration in, in building that relationship with you. And I think the longevity of your relationship is very, very heavily tied to the initial conversation or interaction that you have with that person and uh, you know how respectful of their time you are. Um, and, and you know you could be an entrepreneur who's 18 years old, but if you and and you know be the smartest you know 18 year old out there. But if you are uh, you know not prepared and you don't really know why you're talking to this person, or you can't really um, you know identify you know what you specifically would like their help on then they're probably not going to talk to you again. (laughs) And that's just the hard reality of it. So um, it's a combination of those things. And there's been a lot of trial and error for me. And I've learned so much along the way. But uh, I think networking is is such an important thing. And I think to a lot of people, networking has a negative connotation because it's like, oh, you're just trying to get something out of somebody. Um, But I really don't try to look at it so transactionally because networking is it's not really networking it's trying to build long-term relationships that can maybe even turn into you know friendships or something much deeper and meaningful in your life where you are building value for both yourself as as well as the other person so uh, it's not it's not as transactional as people uh, make it out to be if you do it correctly
1: oh yeah because I've I've noticed that too a little bit and then when you start getting into detail of what networking is they go oh wait a minute this is different than what I thought Mm -hmm. and then how do you think um no not how do you think how do you find these mentors how do you find people that Mm -hmm. care enough to help
0: uh I think you have to I, I, You know, you do a lot of research, but I think you fundamentally understand that your values uh, align. So, for example, when I was doing my uh, tech company, uh, in the very, very beginning, we were working on the e-commerce angle, which was um, showing through our 3D scanning technology how a piece of clothing would fit on a human being so that uh, people would know exactly what size to order. And so the early mentors that I developed then were people in the e-commerce space. And we ended up having uh, one of the board members of Gucci on our advisory board. And we had a whole bunch of uh, also women in the retail space. And I think when I first initially sent those emails, what I had said was, you know, I'm 19 years old. I'm building out an e-commerce business. Uh, I know nothing about e-commerce, but I know you do. And I would kind of list out the things that I really respected or wanted to learn from. So I would list out, for example, with the Gucci board member, understanding the effect of high quality clothing and what that specific market is looking for uh, in terms of fit and sizing uh, and how important it is for them to understand that about themselves. And that was Something I made it known to him that I wanted to specifically learn from uh, him because I knew he had that experience and knowledge set. So I think setting that precedent up front and making that ask, I mean, he responded the next day because he knew for himself very clearly, because I had spelled it out, uh, how he could add value. But I think it would have been a much different story if I had just sent an email saying, I'm building this startup e-commerce. Can we pick your brain? (laughs) So everybody who's successful gets, you just have to assume that they get, you know, a dozen emails a month or so, maybe even more of someone wanting to pick their brain or grab Mm -hmm. coffee or just chat. And, you know, to be honest, those are probably the most annoying emails that you can get because it's like, I, you know, what do you think I'm doing just waiting around for someone to pick my brain? <laughs> Everybody has a very busy life. And if those people aren't working, they're probably going to be wanting to spend time with their families and loved ones. So uh, you have to be very, very specific about what you want to learn and how they can specifically add value. And uh, then it becomes very clear to them. And they almost have no excuse in a way to not talk to you because they're like, oh, yeah, I know about those things. I better talk to this person,
1: you know? Definitely. I've actually, I've never thought about that perspective too. Cause of course, you know, the pick your brain, I heard a dozen times, everyone kind of groans at it, you know, but mm-hmm. asking for what you want. Cause in that, cause in my mind, it's a little more difficult because I had to build up a little to say like, Hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. Cause at first I'm like, I don't know, but you have to have that confidence in that. Like, I know you're cool. I know you're, yeah. I know you're working for a great company. Yeah. I want to learn. I want to learn from you. And then yeah. by doing that, it's like a reciprocated yeah. value.
0: Yeah. And I and think with what you're doing for podcasts, it's like you've already talked to so many unique people who have such a unique perspective. And so that's something that you could directly incorporate into your ass. So if it's someone who, you know, someone you really want to have on the show and, you know, talk about how they've built a, uh, you know, company that specifically services, uh, You know, underprivileged people, or or something along those lines, or, uh, you know, how they're building a nonprofit organization. You know, the ask would be, you know, I've never had someone on the show who's done something like what you've done, and you add such unique perspective with XX and X things. Uh, Our audience would be so uh, grateful and excited to have someone like you about their experiences because your experience is so unlike other people's and I think you know when you put it like that people are like oh yeah wow I'm not just another entrepreneur or another business person coming on this podcast but I have a very unique story that hasn't been told yet on this podcast and so that's how I would be differentiated and so it kind of puts the perspective on the other person where they're like you know I could be a pretty
1: special thing on this
0: podcast <laughs>
1: Well, that's always what I kind of try to go for, especially like, like yeah. when I learned out, like when I like asked you if you wanted to be on, you said, yes. I was like, I'm like, awesome. Because I haven't had, like I've had women in entrepreneurial settings, but I haven't had, I haven't had a female that like was in the tech settings and that was really passionate about trying to help other, like other females, other girls, other women to do this too. And I was like, that could be such a good, a cool branch. And also what can I learn? And then honestly, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you showed me a lot of different perspectives that you, you can take in and things like that. And that's what I admire most about, like, again, what you said about conversations in the beginning, you're talking about how, Oh, you know, I learn, best by having conversations, and that's how I understand. I think when mm-hmm. you, I think when two people sit down, or you're listening to, two, when you listen to two people sit down, you get a good grasp of, um, of, like, of who they are, what they do, and then you get a grasp of, like, I don't even know how to say it, like, what you, what you can do. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes
0: total sense, and you know, it's there's a lot of pressure out there and I almost in some ways feel bad for the next wave of Gen Xers because there's so much social pressure now with now being so connected and being able to see and... and be so transparent about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis that it's like you're always being compared or you're always comparing yourself to what someone else is doing because it's just so much more out there now (laughs) through Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat and you know 10 years ago it wasn't like that where you really had to make an effort to show what you're doing um, on a day-to-day basis and so I think one thing to remember for all young entrepreneurs or people who are trying to succeed in their careers is you know, it is very easy to succumb to the pressures of what you're seeing and the instant gratification of things. But, you know, you have to remember that everybody goes to their own journey. And for some people, they achieve, you know, success, whatever that means to them at a very early age. And for other people, you know, they might be passionate about something, but it hasn't turned into that thing that defines them or is their legacy until maybe halfway through their lives. I mean, there's one example of a woman that I had met a few years ago and uh, she was actually a stay-at-home mom and she had uh, five children and her um, husband was a successful businessman and uh, she had an epiphany one day and she was like, you know, I am not happy and I believe that I have a lot of traits that make me a leader and I'm very passionate about this thing. And Her thing was actually candles. (laughs) She -hmm. loved candles She uh, divorced her husband and started a candle company, and it became the largest uh, female-owned candle company in the United States within the next 10 years, and she started when she was 46 years old, and to me, that was a prime and amazing example of someone who, uh, you know, they've always had these traits, maybe, in being a leader and uh, understanding how to build something. But it wasn't until a pivotal moment, until later on in their lives, where they realized that that was a a, a time for them to act, and that's completely okay. And and she, you know, now is in her sixties, and she's built this amazing candle company, and now she's running it with her daughter, and oh. you know, that's her story, and that will be her legacy. But. You know, I think, you know, for a lot of women in their early 20s or mid 20s, you think, well, I, that should be me now. <laughs> you know, I should start building my thing now. And it's totally OK if you don't know what that thing is. And we, we all go through our own path and our own journey and, and achieve things in very different ways. And, um, you know, I think it's important to remind ourselves of that otherwise we're all just going to drive each other crazy.
1: <laughs> oh, oh! Yeah. I especially see it in the innovation class. I mean, because, like, my dad started to gain a lot of traction when he was 30, 40. And a lot of these kids, not a lot, but some are like, you know, why am I not successful now? Like, you know, what's, help, mm-hmm. what's holding me back? What's what, what, what do I need to do? But, you know, it's, it's not the time yet, you know. You're not – you're, you haven't developed into the person you need to become yet, then again, I don't think you should be waiting, like, when's my time? When's my time? Like, I think you should be, like, actively searching. Right. I think there is a good um, yeah. healthiness of having that tension of, like, who am I? What am I going to be? Because that means you're searching. That means you're thinking about it, too. I mean, going back to what you said of the social pressures that a lot of kids face, honestly, I don't think some of them are the best social pressures, because you, you know you get into this like you get into this loop of like oh you know what what are my like one of my stats on on my on my pages like how many likes did I get how many people like comments am I good am I fine and then when you get into those we get into realms like that compared to you know things like what you're doing when you have different those different mindsets those different eras of being um, it just. Ah, I don't It just makes the world of difference. Um, coming in and coming out of those phases. But again, for some people, yeah. it's just not the time. But when you think about it, that's mm-hmm. what matters. Exactly. Yep. And I think that was such a beautiful note for you to end on. And I'm so sorry we're running out of time. Where can everyone find you? <laughs> uh people are welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn, on Twitter.
0: Uh, those are the two avenues that I like to connect people on and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, I'm I'm open to anything. Awesome. Well, once
1: again, Caroline, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Hey, guys, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you like what we're doing, please help us grow by sharing our content. And if you have any recommendation for future guests, please email me at agwetrick at gmail.com.